Welcome to the Overcomer Podcast, the podcast that takes you inside the Word of God and reminds you that if you're in Christ, you are an overcomer. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So just sit back, relax, grab your Bible, and join me. Hello, everybody. In this episode, we're going to be diving into the book of Philippians. I hope that you'll grab your Bible and join me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Overcomer podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gilbreth. And if you're new to the podcast, I want to say welcome. I know that I've picked up a few uh, new listeners uh, over the last uh, week or so, and I want to say thank you so much uh, for taking the time uh, to subscribe to the podcast. If you're new to this podcast, I want to just take a few minutes to kind of tell you what this podcast is all about. Um, this is the Overcomer Podcast. I started it back in November of 2020, which was uh, just a few months ago. So this podcast hasn't been around for too long and um this is if if memory serves this is episode number 8 of the overcomer podcast and i began this podcast just it was born just out of a passion uh, to teach the word of god and i've done my best in every single episode to take to take my listeners into the word of god and so it's my prayer that as you listen to this podcast, if you have a Bible handy, then I encourage you to take your Bible, open it up, read it, uh, read along with me, and uh, we'll just sit around the Bible together and we'll learn a little bit. And I hope that you'll do so today. We're going to be in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 is where I'm going to be in today's episode. And... The book of Philippians has been weighing heavily on my heart and on my mind over the past week or so. It seems like everywhere that I turn here lately, I've been confronted with the book of Philippians. I have a, a scripture calendar that I use every year where it gives you a scripture for each and every month of the year. And the scripture verse for this month is taken from Philippians. I scroll through Facebook. And I'm seeing Philippians, Philippians, Philippians. And I mean, just everywhere I turn, it seems like here lately, uh, even my devotional, uh, if, if, you're, if you've been listening to the podcast since November, then you'll know that I used to do a segment where I would read out of the Our Daily Bread uh, devotional book. And just the other day, my devotional was out of the book of Philippians. And so I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about it. And I want us to stay in the book of Philippians just for the next few episodes. Um, this is not going to be a, an exhaustive, uh, you know, verse by verse all the way through Philippians. If I did that, I would never get done. I just want to go ahead and confess that right now. If I took you verse by verse through Philippians, I would never get done. I would bog down. 
because it happens just about every single time that I've tried to preach through a book. So we're going to go through Philippians. Philippians has four chapters, and I don't want to insult your intelligence if you already know that. But the book of Philippians has four chapters, and I want to spend four episodes uh, us going through the book of Philippians. And today, uh, today's teaching comes from Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible handy, then I encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. The Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. Now, I want you to remember verse 6, because verse 6 is where I really want to dive into today. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet, or it is right, for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And that was Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I want to just kind of give you a, a just a small little background, a small little history of the book of Philippians. We're told in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus. Now, Timotheus um, if you have a King James as I have, Timotheus is just simply Timothy. And so it's Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. So this is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And Philippi, you can read about the, the founding of the church at Philippi, the origins of the church at Philippi. You can read that in Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 12 through 40. Paul planted the church at Philippi during his second missionary journey. We know that Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man imploring him to come to Macedonia to preach the gospel to them. So Paul has that vision and he ends up going to Macedonia, which was the region uh, that Philippi was in. And we're told that Philippi was the chiefest city of Macedonia. Philippi was a Roman colony. As a matter of fact, 
Philippi was named after Philip II, if my memory serves, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And so Philippi has a rich history. And before that, it was known by a different name. And I can't exactly remember what that name was, but it was later changed to Philippi uh, to honor Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And so Philippi became a Roman colony. And Philippi was the chiefest city of Macedonia, of that region. And so Paul, he goes there. And if you'll remember, if you'll read Acts chapter 16, then you'll remember that it's the place where Lydia, who was the seller of purple, where she got saved. Her whole household got saved. Philippi was the very first church. It was the very first church plant in Europe. And Lydia was the first convert. And so Lydia, the seller of purple, she gets saved. Her whole household gets saved. And then we, we read about, you know, while uh, Paul was on his way to prayer, that he encounters a demon-possessed woman uh, who was a fortune teller. And, of course, we know that Paul ends up casting out that demon out of that woman. And they end up being thrown into prison. They were beaten. Uh, they were illegally beaten because they were Roman citizens. And it was against Roman law to scourge or to beat a Roman citizen. And so Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into the dungeon, thrown into prison. Well, while they were there, we know that the Philippian jailer uh, winds up getting saved. Peter and, or not Peter, but Paul and Silas begin to sing out praises to God. And I'm trying to rush through this introduction because I try, I've been trying to keep my episodes relatively short. But God delivers them. The Philippian jailer springs in, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they tell him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And of course, Philippian jailer gets saved, his household gets saved, they're baptized, he washes their stripes, and they go. So that's that's the very same place where the church at Philippi is. So I just wanted to kind of give you a background on the origins of the church at Philippi. And the basic theme of the book of Philippians is joy. If you'll study the book of Philippians and read through and count all the different times that Paul mentions joy or the times that Paul mentions rejoicing, this was a very joyful letter. And, you know, we read that on the surface and we think, well, what's the big deal about that? The big deal about that is that Paul more than likely wrote this while either under house arrest or in jail. And you say, well, how can Paul rejoice under those circumstances? He tells us in verse 13, he said, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He said in verse 12, if you back up a verse, he said, but I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. And so Paul rejoiced in that fact that he said, even though I'm in bonds and even though I'm in chains, the gospel is not bound. This is happening for the furtherance of the gospel. 
And so the theme, the basic theme of Philippians, Paul is joyful. He says it in in another place. I believe it's in chapter uh, three or four where he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy, that, that was a theme of the book of Philippians. And then also Paul is thanking them. The, the church at Philippi had a very special place in the heart of Paul. Paul said in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. He said in verse 7, he said, I have you in my heart. And then in another place he says, he calls them his joy and his crown. The church at Philippi held a very special place in the heart of Paul. Because they ministered to him. They sent help. They, When no other churches would care for Paul, the church at Philippi did. And so this church has a very special place in the heart of the Apostle Paul. But I want to draw your attention in chapter 1 to verse number 6. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, the very first thing I want you to notice in that verse is the word confident. He says, being confident of this very thing. That phrase, being confident, it means to be persuaded. It means to be fully convinced. And if you'll study uh, Paul's writings, you'll find out that Paul was a confident man. Okay, Paul was a persuaded man. Paul knew exactly what he believed, and he knew why he believed it. And not only that, but he had a very strong, unshakable faith in the resurrected Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. Now listen to this. He says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Keep in mind, Paul's persuasion stems from him seeing the resurrected Christ. If you'll recall in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I'm not meet to be called an apostle. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. He said, but the resurrected Christ appeared to me as of one born out of due time. Paul saw the resurrected Christ. That day changed his life forever. It gave him the courage and it gave him the boldness he needed to be able to go and preach the gospel to the Gentile. I mean, think about how courageous and how bold Paul was. Right after the scales fell off of his eyes, and he gets baptized. The very first thing he does is he goes to the Jewish temple and preaches that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, what would motivate Paul to do something like that? It was the fact that he saw the resurrected Christ. He knew the source of his conversion. He knew that Jesus is alive. And so that gave him the courage and it gave him the boldness that he needed to go out and be the 
eventually the apostle to the Gentile. But he said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Romans 8, 38 and 39, he said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in Romans 8, 38, he said, I am persuaded. He's saying, I am fully convinced. I'm, I'm confident. I'm fully persuaded that neither death nor life, that nothing can separate me, nothing can separate us from the love of God. In 2 Timothy 1, 12, he said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul was a very persuaded man. Paul was a very confident man. Paul said being confident of this very thing, which begs the question, what is this very thing? Now we read in Romans 8, 38 and 39, that Paul was, was persuaded, that Paul was fully convinced and confident that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, we learn that Paul is persuaded. Paul knows, Paul is confident in whom he has believed, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is persuaded that he is able to, that God is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul sounds very persuaded. I want you to listen to this because this is what I'm fixing to, to cover. Paul was a very persuaded man about his salvation. Romans 8, 38, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul was persuaded of that. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, he is persuaded that God is able to keep him. So we find, we're, we're finding, we're seeing a theme that Paul is persuaded, that Paul is confident. Paul was very secure in his salvation. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. Now I want to stop there. Okay, we're, we're told in the very first part of that verse, being confident of this very thing, to be fully convinced, fully persuaded. And we've seen in other scriptures the persuasion and the confidence of Paul. But now Paul is, is about to tell the Philippians, and he's about to tell you and I about what is he confident about. He says, being confident of this very thing. What is this very thing? Here's the answer. That he which hath begun a good work in you. That phrase, he which hath begun, is one word in the original. And let me tell you what it means. If you want to know what the Greek word is, it's enarchoma. It means to make a beginning. The first to do a thing. In other words, he's talking about the origin of our faith. He which hath begun a good work in you. Okay, what is the origin? I'm talking about go all the way back to the very beginning. That Greek word indicates the first in order. 
the first to do a thing, to make a beginning. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? Let me tell you what it has to do with us. A good work in you. What is the good work in you? If you go all the way back to the beginning, then what is the good work in you and I? It's salvation. He which hath begun a good work. Let me, let me phrase it like this. God is the one who began the good work in us. God is the one who made the first move, so to speak. And I'm not going to argue, you know, this point. I'm not going to argue, you know, if, if you disagree with what I'm with what I'm about to say, then, you know, just we'll have to agree to disagree. The origin of our faith, the origin of salvation. Who made the first move? John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son." that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave. So we see that God made the first move. God loved you, and God loved me. God so loved you and me that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't sit up in heaven and... Just sit up there and wait around and and just hope that we would come to him. Just hope that we would find a way to be saved. No, God took the initiative. God didn't just love us from a distance. God saw that we were perishing. God saw that we were helpless. God saw that we were depraved. God saw that there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. But God saw us on our way to hell, and he leapt into action. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I venture to say, those of you that are listening to this episode, and you've got children, you've got kids, I wonder how many of you would be willing to give up, to sacrifice your child for the sins of the whole world. Not a one of you would be willing to do that. Even even somebody that you love dearly, you still wouldn't be willing to give up your child. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved you and I. He saw, he saw us in our sin. He saw us headed for hell. He saw us on that broad road that leads to destruction. And he leapt into action. God made the first move. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 65, he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. What's that saying? It's saying that God, God has to move before you can be saved. You can't just roll out of bed in uh, roll out of bed in the morning and say, "Well, I, I'm going to get saved today." It doesn't work that way. You have to be drawn by the Father before you can be saved. 
God has to make the very first move. Keep in mind, he which hath begun a good work. God is the one who initiated the whole entire thing. You can't get saved just any time you want to get saved. You can't just decide, well, you know, I'm going to get saved today. It doesn't work that way. There's people that say, well, I'll get saved tomorrow. I'll get saved next church service. I'll get saved a year from now. Let me tell you something. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Look, you don't know what tomorrow brings. You're not guaranteed another second. But I'll say this much. If you're not being drawn by the Father, if the Holy Spirit of God is not bringing conviction on your heart and on your soul, you can't be saved. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And Jesus, even later on, he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him by my Father. God makes the first move in salvation. 1 John 4, verses 8 through 10. I want you to listen to this. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Did you hear what that just said? It said, herein is love, not that we love God, because we didn't love God. You say, well, how can you say that, that we didn't love God? I went to church, and I was a church member, and I was baptized, and I'd done this, and I'd done that. How can you tell me that I didn't love God? Hey, I didn't say it, the Bible did. Read Romans chapter 3, Romans 3, 9 through 19. It lays out the whole indictment against the human race. Bible says all of sin come short of the glory of God. There's none that understand it. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. We've all turned out of the way. Everyone has turned to his own way. Look, the person that's lost, you may do good things, and you may even do religious things, but it doesn't make, it doesn't mean that it's a genuine love for God because the human heart is at enmity with God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But you see, God had to intervene. God came on the scene. This ought to excite you. God came on the scene and God acted. God made the first move. He saw us in our sin. He saw that we didn't love him, but the Bible said he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. He sent his son to die in our place so that we can be saved. Romans 8, 29 and 30. And these verses are super controversial, and really I don't understand why. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, folks, this is not John Calvin, okay? I'm reading you the words of the Apostle Paul. I'm reading you straight from the Scripture. I didn't get this from a Calvinist commentary. 
I didn't get this from John Calvin. I'm reading you straight from the scripture. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Don't let that word scare you. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let me give you the gist. God started it. God made the first move. God sanctifies you and I. We're going to see that in just a minute. God sanctifies you and I. And then God will finish the work that he started. It was God from the beginning, and it'll be God all the way to the end. I want you to listen to Ephesians. And I don't have it bookmarked, so let me turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Who is that talking about? That's talking about before conversion. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our old way of life, in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's what we were. Verse 4, but God. I heard a preacher say one time, thank God for the buts in the Bible. Thank God for the time that God butted in. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let me give you the nutshell of what that's saying. There was a time in our life, I'm speaking to Christians, there was a time in our life when we were children of disobedience. There were times in our life when we walked according to the course of this world. There was a time when we were we lived as slaves to sin, and we lived as, as slaves of Satan. And the Bible said that we were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath. We were children of disobedience. We were children of wrath. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Don't miss that. We were dead. One of my uh, preaching heroes has a phrase, has a statement that he says all the time. He said, what can a dead man do? Well, let me tell you what a dead man can do. A dead man can do nothing but be dead. Okay, try to, uh, a dead man, the only thing that a dead man can do is just lay there and be dead. The Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 5 even when we were dead in sins. 
Okay, we were spiritually dead. We were walking, talking corpses. And there was nothing we could have done to save ourselves. Try to work your way to heaven, and it's not going to do you any bit of good. Verses 8 and 9, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not going to work to earn it. You're not going to... You're not going to live a good enough life. You could live 10,000 lifetimes. You know, the, the, the Hindus believe in reincarnation. Let me tell you this. You can be reincarnated. You could live 10,000 lifetimes. And you know what? You can pile up good works on good works on good works. And you know what? All of it is never going to be good enough. You will fall short of the glory of God every single time. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how good you try to be. We are de You are dead in trespasses and sins if you're not saved. And the only thing you can do is be dead. But the Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. That word quickened means to be made alive. This is even when we were dead in sins, God made us alive together with Christ and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's salvation. Salvation is a miracle. Salvation is a resurrection. People say, well, does God still raise the dead today? Yeah, he does. The moment you got saved, a resurrection took place. The moment that I got saved, a resurrection took place. I was a dead, lifeless corpse. But God Almighty, by His Spirit, came by my way and raised me up to life again. He breathed life into me. He placed His Holy Spirit within me and raised me up to sit together in heavenly places with Christ so that I could do good works. I tell you what, that, that's that's exciting. If I wasn't a Baptist, I'd holler just a little bit. It's a miracle. Salvation's a miracle. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. Conversion. We saw the confidence. We saw conversion. But now I want us to see the completion. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is why I believe in eternal security. I want you to listen to this. That, that phrase, will perform, it's the Greek word epitaleo. Let me tell you what it means. It means to bring to an end. It means to accomplish, to fulfill, or to complete. In other words, in this verse, in the context, let me tell you what he's saying. God started the work in us. He began the good work in us, and he will see it through to the end. He will bring it to completion. That ought to encourage somebody right there. God started the good work in us. God will bring it to completion. God does not start doing a work and then just leave it unfinished. God didn't begin the work of salvation in your life and sanctification. God didn't start that good work in you and then say, well, man, he's done marred in my hands too many times, so 
uh, he's lost his salvation. I'm just going to toss him to the side. And I'm just going to, God doesn't have a shelf in heaven of unfinished works. God finishes what he starts. And if you're listening to me and you're doubting your salvation, I want you to listen to this. God finishes what he starts. Okay, if you're saved and you know that you've been saved and you know there's a time in your life when, you know, that conviction came your way and you trusted Jesus Christ and your life began to change and you bore fruits of salvation, but now you're starting to have doubts. I want, I want, I want to say this to you. God finishes what he starts. God is not going to begin a good work in you and me and then walk away and leave it undone. The Bible says, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. He's going to see it through. You got his word on that. This is not Baptist doctrine. This is not um, some kind of doctrinal system. This is not you know, something that some man come up with. This is the word of God. Hebrews 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Jesus finished the work he started. When Jesus, I'm talking about his very last words on the cross, was tetelestai, it is finished. When Jesus came to do the work, to live the good life that we couldn't live, to do the works necessary for salvation. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. Jesus, he didn't begin the good work here on earth and then say, well, I just, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. These people are too bad. You know, Father, just go ahead and take me back up into heaven. That's not what he did. He went all the way. From the manger to the cross to the grave, back up into heaven. Jesus went the whole entire way. He finished every bit of the work. He didn't leave it undone. He finished it. He said, it is finished. And I want to say this. If you're listening to this episode and you're doubting your salvation, I want want you to listen to this. God finishes what he starts. And if he began the good work in you, he will bring it through to completion. He's not going to start the good work and then walk away and leave it undone. God doesn't do that. He finishes what he starts. So I want you to be encouraged by that today. That if you're doubting your salvation, I want you to listen. God finishes what he starts. And you say, well... Do you believe in once saved, always saved? Let me tell you this. I'm not a huge fan of that phrase, once saved, always saved, just simply because it has a negative connotation with it. A lot of people have a negative view of that phrase. But I want to say this. I believe in eternal security. I believe that once you are saved, God began the good work in you. And God's going to see it through to the end. And there may be times where we want to give up on God, but I want to say this, God will never give up on you. So I want you to be encouraged by that today. I thank you for listening. I hope that you'll tune in 
two weeks from today for another all-new episode of the Overcomer Podcast. And I would encourage you, in these next couple of weeks, I would encourage you to read, to dig in, and to study the book of Philippians. Because next episode, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to gradually work our way through. And I'm just hitting the highlights. But we're going to work our way through the book of Philippians. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. And I will see you next time for the Overcomer Podcast. And remember, if you're in Christ, you are an overcomer. God bless you. See you next time. This has been the Overcomer Podcast. The podcast that reminds you if you're in Christ, you are an overcomer. Join me every other Friday for all new episodes of the Overcomer Podcast. God bless you. Until next time.